Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's roundup. Before we jump in, I got new merch, an awesome zip hoodie from Artistic Pixels. I have been testing this one out for a couple of months now. I've been wearing it like three times a week and putting it in the washer and dryer each time because I know a few people said the last company I was using had some of their stuff peel off. And as you can see, everything still looks totally fine. Uh, it's got the retro RGB logo and a PVM on the front. On the back, it's got the CRT patent, which absolutely looks awesome. And it's at the correct height. It always kind of cracks me up when people have hoodies where you can't see the designs unless the hood is up, but it works both ways. So I just wanted a big shout out to Ariel and Erica from Artistic Pixels for making these. They're awesome quality. I've been wearing it all the time. If you see me out in public, I always have this one on just so I could give it a good test and hopefully you all like it. So I'll leave a link in the description to all that stuff. But enough, uh, enough pimping my own merch. Let's jump in and see what's been going on this week. First up, the musician Remute has just opened pre-orders on his latest album. This one is going to be on the Atari Jaguar. The album is called There Is Hope, and it came to about 60 bucks after shipping and everything to the U.S., and it should be released on March 29th of this year. As soon as you buy it, you can get two tracks right away, and this one is going to be a region-free 6-megabyte cartridge with 12 songs. And it'll also be, each song could be selectable with the Jaguar controller's number pad, which is pretty cool. And the artwork and GUI were made by Jaguar coder MindThreat. So far, only the cartridge edition together with a digital album is available, and it's currently not possible to get the digital album on its own, but Remute usually releases these at some point in the future, digital only. But this is just awesome. I mean, anybody who's been following Remute's work, and if you want to hear directly from Dennis, you can just check out the interview we did a couple of years ago now, but he's been writing music on video game consoles. And I don't mean playing MP3s through a cartridge through a console, which that's kind of neat, but this actually generates the sounds through the audio chips on each of the consoles that he uses. So this one would obviously use the Atari Jaguar's chips in order to do that. So it's such a unique experience. The The first one that I really just got super into was the Genesis version. And then I listened, I, I bought every other one, but that one really hit me because the Genesis was a console that I grew up with and it has a very unique sound. So hearing music on it that was kind of reminiscent of 
how music was always sounding on the Genesis really hit. Plus, every one of his albums was great. There's at least one song that everybody likes on it. And very often, everybody likes a different song, which is awesome because that means variety. So just uh, somebody who likes all types of music like me might be able to sink into a couple. If you only like one type of music, maybe you only like one or two. But if you own an Atari Jaguar and it works, <laughs> then you might want to just consider this because, you know, what a, an awesome, unique thing to have. Uh, both as a collector's item and as good music. So definitely check out Crystal's post if you want links and any info in it, and I'm very much looking forward to giving mine a try. Next up is the first of two very interesting homebrew releases for the Sega 32X. That's right, the Mushroom Turd add-on that was mostly forgotten over time, but still an interesting piece of hardware, has gotten a port of Golden Axe. Now, this port was originally created a while back, but it was only able to be used on emulators. And now it could work on real hardware and, of course, in the Mr. Core. And there's a bunch of different additions and tweaks done to it. So this is pretty neat because you can get a fairly accurate arcade experience on this. And there's been a bunch of not only just compatibility updates, but some just features implemented in this one, such as the stage layouts have been redrawn to a closer max match to the arcade versions, eye animations for the turtle and eagle are present, the door animations from the arcade release are re-implemented, and demo in a track mode resembles the arcade board arcade mode more closely try to say more in mode right next to each other um so yeah that i mean it's pretty awesome the only thing that's been removed is the dual mode is no longer accessible for now it seems like it's going to be uh probably at least attempted to add back at some point in the future and it seems to work fine on what most people were testing it at so you know, this is one of those things where if you own a way to play 32X ROMs and you like the game Golden Axe, just give this a shot just to see what you think. Uh, and it's just really cool to see arcade ports over to it because that was one of the things that I was pretty excited about when the 32X came out before it basically died a few months after it was released. But they had ports of Afterburner, Space Harrier, Virtua Fighter, and of course the uh, Virtua Racing 32X version is one of my favorites. It's not the best, but it's certainly one that I really enjoy playing and in my opinion my favorite 32x game so who knows maybe I'll start playing golden axe on it and I'll start to reappreciate the arcade classic on the mushroom turd the next 32x homebrew to be released is a demo of tomb raider ported over to the 32x which is just such an impressive thing to see I wonder what people would have said back in the day if this was actually released on the 32x um, now the frame rate isn't exactly the highest and it's still a work in progress but this is just proof of what could have been done on the 32x much like what Vic had done with Doom Resurrection and a couple of other things that we'd seen over the years if you want to see this one in action Mateus Bayes just upload, uploaded a video on it that shows you exactly what to expect as well as did a very cool write-up for people that just um, uh, just prefer to do a written version. Although, honestly, you should probably see it in action. Just watch the video. It's not very long. But this is really cool. This is um, interesting to see what could be done. And I love seeing homebrew like this because putting a game on an older console or a peripheral like this one is always neat. But going the distance and doing things that people might not have thought could have been possible on that hardware is always so impressive, and it often leads to other cool things when, when that information has been learned. So definitely check out Matt's video on this one, and really interesting to see this stuff get over to the 32X. 
Tito from Matra Natro Productions just posted a first look video at the Flippy Drive, an optical drive emulator for the GameCube that also retains original optical drive functionality. And this thing looks absolutely awesome. Now, please watch Tito's video for all of the info on this. Uh, he really, as always, demonstrates exactly what you could expect. But there's definitely a few things that I want to reiterate and talk about. First of all, price. This thing is going to be under 40 bucks plus shipping. So that's incredible. Now, I know the other mod chips are certainly that price range as well or cheaper, except this one is a zero solder mod. All you do is unbolt everything. You have to fold up a flex cable and kind of place it on the same place that you would put the optical drive. Tito does a great job showing that in the video. It doesn't look easy, but it also looks like something anybody with a tiny bit of patience could do. There's no cutting or soldering or any of that stuff. So essentially, it's a plug-in play ODE, but you get to keep the original drive. And all you have to do in order to run original discs is power it on holding the L trigger with the disc in the drive. And that's it. It'll sense that you're holding down the L trigger. It'll spin up the disc. And essentially, it just goes back to being a completely stock GameCube which is great because there's so many people I know that want all of the advantages of an ODE, but also just want to use their original collection the way that they had planned on it. So that is pretty awesome. Also, network loading of games. That is such a big deal. Now, there's a bunch of people that probably think, well, I can get a one terabyte micro SD for not much money, and especially compared to what they used to cost, and load the whole library on it and whatever, I don't care. And there's another group of people that's like, oh, I'll just always load my favorite 20 games on it, and I don't even need a big card. But anybody that's into the scene and always tweaking different homebrew or loading different versions of Swiss and GBI, different patches, tons of different things that are always going on in the scene would absolutely love the ability to just manage all of that on your home server. Anybody with a retro NAS, or I think this one could even be used with just a standard uh, network share. That's a very, very big deal. Now, obviously, anything over wireless is going to take a little bit longer to, to buffer up. Um, I, Tito wasn't able to demo this in the video, but there are videos that show it working. And they're even working on an Ethernet adapter for the GameCube because the original one is incredibly expensive. So while this is something that's kind of early on, it's definitely working. And I think for me personally, this might be tied as my favorite feature, uh, you know, price, dual functionality and this, I think, are all super, super important. So, I mean, that's just, there's so many cool things to, to note about this. Now, the one thing in the video Tito noted is that you put the micro SD card into the flippy drive itself, which is mounted internally. So then you would either have to choose to leave the top unbolted and then just remove the top every time you need to access the micro SD or use the network function. However, Greg from LaserBear is working on a couple of designs that use micro SD extenders to break it out to underneath the DVD flap. So you should be able to have a completely bolted together and functional GameCube with microSD tucked neatly along the side. Um, Greg has done a bunch of adapters like this before and they've all came out great. So I imagine this will be the same. So really this thing is just so much potential. And I think this, with, with all respect to everybody else, this might be the go-to ODE and way to load homebrew. Now, just because I always want to share the love, I, I have to give a shout out to everybody who's worked on all of the other projects. 
there's a couple of mod chips that are amazing. And if you have an SD uh, SD to GameCube memory card converter, you might already have a perfectly working solution that also works with original discs. Of course, you could use an action replay if you could find any of them. And the original ODE that was released, the GC loader, is still excellent. So just the fact that this is released doesn't knock any of those down a peg. But I do think that personally, based on what it looks like it could do, if I had an untouched GameCube and I was looking to add some kind of ODE functionality, I think this would be the one that I would choose. Now, obviously, it's not out yet. We still need to just wait to see what happens when it hits. But this has got so much potential, and I am very, very excited about it. I can't wait for it to go on sale. There's just a notification list right now. So sign up, no money down, and you just need to be notified of when it's going to be up for sale, which should be quarter one this year. And then once that hits, you'll be able to pre-order, and it should ship relatively soon after that. Of course, we'll let everybody know as soon as that's available. But honestly, nothing but excitement and good things to say about this. Please watch Tito's video to get all the info you'd need for it, and we'll definitely be following up once it's actually up for sale, and especially after it's been installed in some... Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. If you're a creator who uses any kind of retro game or pixel art footage in your videos, you need to hear what I'm about to talk about. I hope everybody else listens too, because I think this stuff's kind of interesting. But if you're a creator, this is a must listen. If you're presenting original footage in your video, it's almost certainly not going to match the exact resolution and aspect ratio of the video that you're making. So you need to scale it and stretch it or shrink it properly in order to present that footage. If you don't, what you'll end up with is a wrong representation of what all of that is. So why does that matter? Well, there are tons of historical videos that show footage in uh, with things that are the wrong size and scaled improperly. So there's tons of footage out there that makes it look like Super Mario was smooth and rounded and weird. And there's also tons of footage out there where 256 wide pixel games are shown in square pixel mode. So it looks like Mario is super skinny or sometimes Sonic could be extra fat for the 320 wide modes. So if you want, if you actually care even a little bit about how to present that footage, you could do everything correctly, completely free using the standard video editing stuff that's out there. And this is something that I've really been meaning to do a video on. Epos Fox, the stream professor, beat me to it, but I do have a bunch to add to his video. So first up, I know nothing about DaVinci Resolve, so seeing Epos show you how to sharp scale footage using that free software was awesome. I think that's great for most people getting started, and in fact, many creators just use DaVinci Resolve as their main editing tool. And definitely check out the stream professor's channel because he'll explain why you might actually want to or use a combination of stuff. So that's pretty important. And also he talked about a new program that I had never heard of called Stacks Rip that allows you to prescale footage. Now he did go into Premiere and with, with all respect to the stream professor, I mean, Adam has taught me so much about how to make my streams and my videos and especially my audio better. So 
no disrespect at all when I say this, but he showed a very complicated way that kind of made my head spin. And I don't think he knew about a free Adobe Premiere plugin. Uh, it's called um, Visual Pixel Perfect by the company Autochroma. I have a link to it right here. It is completely free. You just install it the same way you install any other plugin. And all you do is select which integer scale you want, one, two, three, whatever else, so, uh, and which scaling algorithm. So it would be nearest neighbor for retro stuff. And that's really it. And when you scale, it might not fill the screen. So you could choose to put like a nice border around it, which a lot of creators do, which I think is very cool. You could also choose to use overscan, which is something that I often do. I did that video of uh, why you should probably play your games and scale your footage to 5x or 10x now if you're using the Tink 4K. That also works because you could adjust the overscan area to look basically exactly like it would have on a CRT anyway. But in the situation where it's like 480p and it would cut off too much if you did it that way, my suggestion, which I got from Fudo a long time ago, is don't stretch to under the target resolution or don't sharp scale to under the target resolution and stretch scale to over the target resolution using nearest neighbor and shrink down to the size. You will get a slightly bit better look for that. So it's just a drop-in plugin. It's super easy to use. And the other thing is uh, virtual dub. Epos showed virtual dub, but I actually did a deep dive on how to use this years ago, which was all from the help of Steve from HD Retrovision, the R3 Wiki, and a bunch of people far smarter than me. But you could use completely free software, virtual dub, to both scale as well as aspect correct. And what I showed in this video, you could use the same aspect correction in any of the other videos, uh, video editing software as well. So basically you do your sharp scale first, and then you use your video editor's built-in scaling to stretch or uh, on the horizontal, stretch or shrink on just the horizontal plane in order to get it the correct aspect ratio. Uh, you could also pre-scale your footage, which is something that it's good and it's bad. It's bad because you're going to end up with a very, very large file at the end of this. However, if you're going to use that file in many different videos, it's probably worth doing because that way you've already pre-scaled and cropped your footage. So you could just drag it into your timelines and whatever future videos you have. So uh, I strongly recommend checking out this post, but also checking out ePost's video if you want to uh, use DaVinci Resolve and uh, StacksRip. But also check out the video I did. And I have the timestamps here too, so you don't have to watch the very long video that also talks about direct capture, which you might not need at all, especially if you have a newer retro tank like the 5X or the 4K. But skip to about the 25-minute mark and watch how to use virtual dub because it's all free, and then you end up with the footage that you need, pre-cropped, already centered, stretched exactly the way you want it, so sharp vertically, and then only not sharp when you're talking about aspect cor uh, correction. Uh, it's something that's really important to me, and it is definitely like an OCD pet peeve of mine when I see historians put up videos that are not at all a representation of how the games actually looked. So for me personally, my opinion, you could disagree if you want, but if you're going to show footage of retro game consoles, you're either going to do this in the highest quality reasonably possible, or you're just going to point a camera at a CRT because that's going to be as accurate as you can get. Although I would argue that doing that 
is so much more time consuming and tedious than doing this, especially because once you get used to scaling it this way, it's just a few minutes of time and then you wait for it to render. Whereas setting up your camera every time you want that footage can be a nightmare. Trust me when I tell you this, I've been doing it over 10 years. So please check out the post at least. Thank you to the stream professor for always teaching us all of this stuff. I will follow up with my own video on this definitely before the end of the year because it's something I really hope we all share politely between ourselves with other creators so that we could have footage properly presented for everybody to see the right way. Um, and of course, I'll, I'll swing back and maybe I could even get uh, Epos in that video to talk about Resolve or something like that just to, to get your expert advice directly from the expert. Next up, Wobbling Pixels has just released a ton of new profiles for the RetroTINK 4K, as well as released a video explaining how to use them. Now, as we all say, Mike, Wobbling Pixels, Firebrand X, myself, we always remind everybody, you don't need any of this. However, if you've invested the money in a Tink 4K and you're going to play your favorite consoles, it's at least worth checking this stuff out to see if the difference matters to you. So often I'll just be playing something casually and I won't even bother because the generic mode of the Tink 4K is amazing. Actually, same with the 5X, to be honest with you. However, if you're playing your favorite consoles and especially your favorite games, you could make original consoles look so good with just a few clicks of the remote. So basically you load up the profile that applies to you. And then if you want, you could tweak it even further. You don't have to, you can just load a custom profile and be done. But if you want to, you could actually tweak it to your exact console. And that's a big deal because as I'm gonna be showing in depth in a few upcoming videos I've been working on, each console is completely different. And I mean, I don't mean like Genesis and Super Nintendo. I mean, you could lay out 10 one-chip 01 Super Nintendos and they might all output slightly different video, uh, video brightness as well as qualities, especially phase is gonna be different even if you just change a cable. So if you wanted to, you could auto calibrate all of that stuff infinitely easier than you'd ever been able to before. Anybody that's ever did the direct capture stuff or even used the OSSC, which the OSSC is still amazing. I still love it. I still use it, but it's a lot of manual work to dial it in. So if you've used any of those, watching Wobbling Pixels video and watching him just go to the auto calibrate and press a button is going to put a smile on your face because it really is that easy. The other thing that Wobbling Pixels included in this were profiles for the N64 S video cable. So a lot of the profiles we work on are for RGB or component video out because when you have a high-end scaler, you're going to assume that a lot of people using it are probably going to have the highest end outputs. But as we get through all of those, it's nice to come back and realize there are a ton of people that just know that N64s with S video output are excellent. In fact, I would say that unless you know, you should try it first and you might not feel like you need an RGB upgrade. You might as well, you do get a little better colors out of it and everything, but being able to have custom profiles to get sharp S-Video scaling, as well as CRT masks dialed in specifically for S-Video is really, really awesome. Now, selfishly, my favorite of all of these profiles are things that allow you to do stuff like zoom Star Fox without the border around it. That's pretty cool. That's something you couldn't do on a CRT, but you could even do ridiculous stuff like zoom Mario Kart. Cause remember, even when you're racing in single player mode, the race windows on top and the maps on the bottom, 
you could zoom that to fill a widescreen TV and still be integer scaled. And in fact, you could do this easily if you map the Mario Kart profiles to just a couple buttons right on the remote. So, or maybe even just map generic to button one. So you load up the game, you get through the menus, right when the race is about to start, you press the zoom button, and this integer scaled profile will put the Mario Kart race window in a widescreen view right on your TV. That's my favorite. It's ridiculous, I know, but I love it. And if you have a Tink 4K and a Super Nintendo, you need to try it because it's just one of those moments where even if you decide to go back and play it the original way, you're going to get a very big kick out of playing it like that. So thank you so much to Wobbling Pixels and, of course, everybody else who contributed to all of the profiles for doing all of this stuff. Uh, definitely check out that video. And I'm just so excited to see where the Tink 4K is going because the profile stuff that we're going to be able to build for this is really going to change quite a bit. And I'm even looking forward to building some profiles myself for scaling old TV and movies. I got to get around to making time for that, but I think that's going to be a very big deal in certain scenes. And I don't just mean like the Laserdisc scene or, you know, the VHS nostalgic scene. I mean, people who just have Blu-rays of older content that has lots of film grain or stuff that was shot to, with TV and CRTs specifically in mind, you could really bring back a lot of the original artistic look of that stuff with just pressing a button on a profile. So really excited to see where else we can go with the Tink 4K. But for now, check out Wobbling Pixels video. Now it's time for this week's Mr. Updates, care of Lou from Lou's Retro Source. Lou, I hope you had a good rest and enjoyed your vacation, but I'm so glad you're back, and I'm so glad you've been keeping up with all of this stuff. So let's bring everybody up to speed. First up is a new project called Groovy Mister behind the team that makes Groovy Mame, and this allows a really awesome and incredible feature that I see the potential for it growing to quite a lot of different things. So here's how this works. You set up Groovy Mame on a PC. Configure your controllers, get everything loaded, and then you connect that PC via an Ethernet cable to a mister, and the video output comes out of the mister with latency as low as about 4 milliseconds added to whatever the emulation lag was. So why would you want to do this? To be honest, if you're connecting to a flat panel display, you, you probably don't need to at all. You could probably just use your PC and it's going to be fine. But what about analog displays? What about CRTs and stuff like that? It is much, much harder to get any kind of software emulation from a PC working on a CRT than it is through Mister. Now, of course, there's a whole group of people that have been doing this forever that are scoffing at me right now, like, oh, that's crap. All you need is this model video card with this model BIOS and this cable and this custom. It's, it's not easy. Some people think it is. It's not. And... Mister, on the other hand, is super easy. You set it to direct video mode and you use a DAC, you use an I.O. board, whatever. And in fact, certain boards in certain cases, now you could even get S-Video and Composite. The Retro Castle case has that converter, the RGB to S-Video built in one of the models that just works with all cores. So getting analog video out of a Mister is much easier in most cases. So being able to do this, especially if your PC and your mister are relatively close to each other, is really awesome. So that means you could get full-powered PC emulation of MAME, which if you have a decently fast PC, you could run a lot of these arcade games with almost no latency whatsoever. So that's an awesome solution. And while it's still in beta, there's still a bunch of cool things that could be added to it. Um, there is so much potential for this. First, I don't know if it's possible, but it would be very cool to have the Mr. Core that you load up also be able to select your game. That would be kind of neat. 
Um, I don't know how easy that would be or anything like that. It would be even cooler if you could have your controller go through Mr. But doing it that way might mean a lot more latency because you'd have to send your controller commands to the emulation and then have it come back. The reason that would be a big deal is because if you have any kind of home server running, you could just have Groovy Mr. running on a VM somewhere and just have it headless. So you would never even need to worry about that. And the other stuff that I'm excited for, the potential of, I don't want to put pressure on the devs or anything, but I want to paint a picture of what's possible if other people step up and help. What about amazing games like AM2R? You could play it through a Pi, but I've never once successfully got it to work on a CRT without some kind of screen tearing or weird issue. So what if you had perfect uh, emulation of this running or having it running natively in a VM somewhere, but outputting analog via your mister? that could potentially mean you have the game running at full speed with no screen tearing. But even things like video playback. And that's another thing that so many people are like, oh, why not just get a Raspberry Pi? Yeah, absolutely, if you're using HDMI output. But what if you have something that you want 480i stuff outputted? That's going to be a little bit tricky. And yeah, there are some patches for Cody, and it has been at least a year or two since I've tried it, so maybe it's gotten a lot better. But when I really dug in deep with Pi and 480i output, it wasn't easy, and it never quite looked right, whereas 480p and up looked amazing. So there is potential for this to also allow you to use your mister to have video content on your CRTs. So the project right now is phenomenal, and I'm really excited it exists, and I'm so appreciative for the devs, but I also can see where this has the potential to lead if more people step up and help. So that's a very, very big deal and worth spending all the time talking about. So thank you to Calamity and the whole crew who's working on this. I can't wait to try it myself. Tons more Mr. News, though. Next up, Shane Lynch noticed that the Joust 2 Mr. Core couldn't flip the screen. So he also was asking if other cores don't have that option and was willing to try and see if that could be added, which is really helpful for people with dedicated Tate setups like my consumer CRT flopped on its side over there. It's a total pain to pick up a consumer CRT and flip it to the other side. So uh, not as much of a pain as a heavy BVM or something, but still much appreciated. Uh, next, Wizzo announced that the iOS remote app for Mr. is now fully working. It just needs to go through the App Store approval process, but that is awesome because I am such a huge fan of the remote app, all of Wizzo's work, obviously, but you know, having to log in and pull up your web browser and figure it out that way, most people could do it, but having a nice app that could just, you press a button on your phone is always appreciated and might help less tech savvy people who aren't really comfortable with trying to figure out IP addresses and stuff, find it a little bit better. So thank you so much to Wizzo for continuing on this. That's really awesome. Uh, next up, Anton Gale made a lot of progress on the Exidy cores and states that Targ and Spectre are now playable. Uh, screenshots of Venture are also shown. So you can check out the link or, of course, the video that Lou has for more info. Next up, Roberto Garcia Lago has just added some more awesome wallpapers for Mr. This is a collection that you could have automatically downloaded via Update All. So if you want more amazing wallpapers, definitely check that out. I haven't given that a try yet. I'm still using Ronnie's and um, they're always really cool. So I have it set so it just puts up a different one every time I boot. So it's always interesting, especially on a, a flat panel and during streams. So you don't have that snow that looks cool on a CRT but messes with streaming. Next up, Robert released an overclocked version of the N64 core, which can give you smoother frame rates in some games, but it's 
possible that overclocking can cause issues with others. So not only are we getting an accurate and awesome N64 core, but Robert's already added a bunch of different things that are impossible on original hardware. So thank you so much. Next up, Hotego has just released a beta core of the black and white Neo Geo Pocket. Uh, so the color games aren't available to be played on that yet. However, it's still in beta. It's still something that's being worked on, but that obviously means a ton of progress has been done. And I'm really looking forward to trying this because I've never actually played through Sonic on Neo Geo Pocket. And it always seemed like such a fun game. I even owned a Pocket, but I don't spend a lot of time handheld gaming. I, I don't know why. I like tiny phones and giant TVs, and I'd rather just sit back on my couch or, or maybe even tate a, a flat panel and have it if that would fit better or something i don't know but i think i'm, I'm really going to give it a shot when it's released and there's a couple other games on there that were a lot of fun i did spend a lot of time with metal slug but that was more of a let's just pick this up and blast through some stuff for a few moments so awesome and really appreciated that that core is coming coming through Next up, Jimmy Stones has resurrected the Sega Gremlin core after taking a break. At the moment, he's able to get Carnival running with music, but the sound effects are still off. Uh, next, the Coinop Collection team has released several, several arcade games for Mr., including Hachu, EDF, In Your Face, Plus Alpha, and a game that I don't think I could pronounce. So uh, it's from the Jalico Mega System 1. Definitely check out the video for examples of that. The CoinOp Collection team also released a beta core for Midway hardware. The only games that are playable are Smash TV and Total Carnage. Other games can boot, but they're in an unplayable state. It's possible that Trog and Striker Force might be playable in the future, but other games are unlikely able to be run on the DE10, and work on them will continue and probably only be available on Mars. This is not a Mars versus Mr. thing. This is literally a hardware thing. So their team is trying their best. I, I spoke to Promote about it a couple times, and they're trying to get stuff like Mortal Kombat and NARC working on the DE10, but that might just be a limitation of that FPGA. So we'll see going forward. Next is a new project that's aiming to port the SNES core over to a $20 FPGA, and they're calling this project the SNES Tang. It's still very early in development, so compatibility isn't high, but I love that this exists. This is uh, the same type of project that was able to put the NES core on the same FPGA that's running, as far as I know, it runs perfectly. So being able to port this stuff to cheaper stuff is amazing, and I really hope it leads to companies kind of going the distance and trying to use stuff like that to build cheap FPGA console recreations. I know it's very unlikely, but imagine if we ended up getting a $99 SNES that can use original cartridges and output both analog and HDMI, or HDMI only plus analog through a DAC. That's probably the better way to do it, so people don't have to pay for features they might not need. But still, imagine that. That would be absolutely incredible to have a lag-free, accurate emulator that would be able to play all of these, as well as play original cartridges. I think that is such a, an amazing long-term goal, and it's going to take stuff like this, open source shared projects to do it, because the bigger companies out there aren't going to drop the money that it takes to do all of this stuff to make that happen, which is sad because I truly think they would make their money back if they did, but it is a risk. And companies like Hyperkin know that they could already sell the stuff that they put out. So it's really impossible to try to explain to their board why you would want to spend so much money to take a risk to just sell something that would be more expensive than what's already selling now. Most people listening to this would understand why, and I think anybody who's a creator would love to, to hype projects like that, but I think 
this is really going to have to be community first, companies making it second. So uh, at the very least, I'm a giant fan of this stuff, and I really hope the team continues. And maybe they themselves would even be able to to work on building something like this. I would certainly help get that out the door for them. But either way, it's just really cool to see all of this stuff. And also, Update All is now up to version 2.1. This version features a streamlined menu, analog pocket support, new databases for boot ROMs, wallpapers, and RetroSpy, and other maintenance updates. And there are a couple of things that I just want to add. Adding RetroSpy to this is awesome. I did a stream where you could see all of my button presses, and that's all because of RetroSpy, and that runs on the CPU side of things, not the FPGA. So there really isn't a chance that RetroSpy is going to slow down your game or, or lower the uh, accuracy or add latency or anything like that. But the other thing I wanted to mention is all of the boot ROMs from Uber Yoji. I love these things. I think it's so cool that when you boot a core, it automatically has like a nice animated wallpaper, but it's essentially a ROM for that console. So Uber Yoji has done a bunch of consoles and essentially created mini demo scene style games for each to do this. The question I had respectfully is, when you add this in update all, it does everything for you, but it has a set of what looks like separate cores added to your main Mr. Menu. They're not separate cores, they're links. So you're not, it's not like Uber Yoji has to maintain a separate core and every time one updates, you have to update the other. That is not what's happening. It is simply a link file to whatever core is already there that just tells that core boot with this game. So I was wondering why you can't just have that core set to auto boot whatever that ROM is. And it depends on the core. So for Super Nintendo, you could manually download Uber Yoji's ROM. You could have it renamed, I think it's boot.rom, and drop it right into your Super Nintendo folder, and it'll just automatically load. Same with any SNES ROM could do that. But what about different cores that have boot ROMs for the BIOS? That's where the problem lies. There's also different cores that have to load certain other things when it boots. So yes, technically, I'm sure the Mr. Team could dig in and add a menu in the on-screen menu option or add a menu option that says boot with this ROM, boot with last ROM, but that's probably a lot of work. And this is a very easy and elegant solution. You just drop these links on, you load through these instead of the other ones, but you are loading that same core. So I get both sides of it. If it's one of those things that's easy to implement, it would be very cool to see the Mr. Team just add that as a feature to all cores. But think about that. Not only would Sorg have to update the main Mr., but then everybody who works on a core would have to also update their core. So that's a huge ask. And I don't even know how complicated something like that is. So I think that the solution that Uber Yoji came up with is absolutely awesome. And I think having it integrated into Update All is massive because you just have to go into the Update All menu, press a couple buttons, and it appears. There's nothing for you to do other than launch via the alternative launch links. So um, thank you to everybody. Thank you to all of the Mr. Devs. Thank you, of course, to Lou for keeping up with all of this stuff. There's no chance I would be able to stay on top of all of these things. And it's really awesome to just have it all in one place. And I, I, I missed you, Lou. I'm glad you're back. So don't forget to subscribe to Lou and watch the video as well. 
John Lineman from Digital Foundry has just released what might be one of his best DF Retro episodes yet. It is an absolute epic masterpiece that hits almost two hours and is dedicated to Road Rash. This is part documentary of the series, part technical deep dive, and it is everything I ever wanted to know about Road Rash. I actually watched it twice. John sent this to me when it was in progress months ago, and I just rewatched every minute of it again before I wrote this post because I wanted to see what else was added, and I just really loved the original. And there are so many cool things to note about this. Um, there's a few things that I will mention, no spoilers, because I really truly think that anybody who's either liked the games or was curious about the games or just wants to see an amazing video should really just dedicate the time, sit on your couch, put it on your 4K TV, treat it like a like a real documentary. But the things that I will add, no spoilers, but my favorite comparison was at about the 25 minute mark. You'll know. Uh, also, if you ever wanted to hear what it's like to, to have a Norwegian try a very bad Southern accent, you get that as well. That alone might be might be worth watching. And also, not only did John dig into the original hardware and the ports, but he also showed emulation. So one of the things that was really intriguing was using, I believe, the 4DO emulator to run the 3DO version overclocked, and it'll hit 60 frames per second. So that alone, I think I gotta, I really have to make the time to try that. And I also wonder if there was ever an FPGA core for the 3DO, could that be implemented? A 400x CPU increase or something like that. That was really intriguing. Um, I'd also completely forgotten about Road Rash 3D, and I'd never even seen or heard of Road Rash Jailbreak. And I think the point that John made that if it were actually a PlayStation 2 game, it might have been a big hit, especially if it was a launch game, but it was later in the PS1's library and kind of got lost, which happens a lot in all video game consoles. Some of the last games that were released exclusively on that very often get forgotten to all the, the new hype that was out there. Also, John showed a game at the end called Road Redemption, which is not a Road Rash game, but it was obviously inspired by it. And it's available on the Switch, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and PC. And that really looks like a game I'd be interested in trying. My only personal uh, question is, do I buy it on the Switch to have a very easy and lazy way of just picking it up and playing right on my TV? Or do I get the PC version to try to access the 120 frame per second mode? I don't know. I'll have to really think about that. John, maybe you should do a, a video comparing the different Road Redemption uh, ports and different ways to play it. I think that would be pretty cool. But honestly, I mean, I can't say this enough. This is one of the best DF Retro videos, and I'm clearly a fan of the channel, so I think a lot of their videos are amazing. But John really nailed it with this one, and I just can't tell you how much I recommend it. It was so cool to see all of the deep dives of all of the ports of Road Rash, and even to see some of the other ones that I didn't realize actually were as good as they were, like the, the handheld versions of it. So definitely check this one out. That's almost it for this week, but I owe at least one person an apology and would like to explain. Last week when the roundup went live, I was half asleep scrolling through comments on my phone and accidentally hit hide user from this channel on a comment that was absolutely fine. There wasn't even remotely any negativity on it. And as it disappeared, I didn't see the person's name. So I basically just blocked somebody on YouTube that did nothing wrong, that never deserved it. It wasn't even a, I'm in a bad mood and taking it the wrong way. It was a perfectly innocent person that I, I disappeared from the channel. And it made me think, how many other times have I done that by accident? It happens on Twitter all the time because mute this conversation and block this person are right next to each other. And 
all the time I'll wake up and flip open Twitter and I'll have like a 99 notification. So I'll just go through and mute all the conversations I'm tagged in that have absolutely nothing to do with me. No, no disrespect. It just has nothing to do with me. So I'm sure that happens all the time on Twitter. I don't think I have anybody intentionally blocked. I, I mute on Twitter. I don't block anyway because it just allows people to create the narrative of, oh, Bob just blocked me because yeah, whatever. Uh, but I don't know how many times I did this on YouTube. So yes, I do mute all all very obvious um, double accounts, trolls. If you have something awful to say and your account has been created yesterday, you're obviously just uh, another account doing that. But I, I never... I never mute good people and I never mute people that just have a difference of opinion of mine, unless it's one of those accounts that I just described. And it's obviously just looking to cause trouble, but I, I just felt really bad. And it was one of those things where I wanted to waste a couple of minutes talking about it because I don't want good people to feel like they did anything wrong. And I feel like a total piece of crap, which is funny because if somebody does something intentionally crappy and I snap back at them, I feel fine about that. I have no regrets, but the thought that somebody's like, I wonder why no one's seeing my messages and no one responding when I had a, a good statement or a good question, that genuinely makes me feel bad. So I, I wish I knew the screen name of the person I accidentally blocked on, on YouTube or, or all of the people I accidentally did. But yeah, sorry. I just wanted to be open and honest about that. And um, I wish there was a, a easier way to kind of go through all this stuff. But Anyway, um, thank you to everybody who watches, listens, plays nicely in the comments, and forgives me for accidentally being stupid sometimes. And especially thank you to anybody who supports in any way possible, especially the monthly supporters like Patreon and Floatplane, because it is you who is keeping this going. I really appreciate you. I want to keep going with this as long as I can, and I, I can't say it enough. Thank you all so much, and I'll see you next week. This week's Roundup is brought to you by Neo Paradigm Entertainment connecting Southeast Asian influencers with opportunities in the West.